Welcome back to episode 37. Look at us go, episode 37. So in this episode, we have a little bit of news, which we'll cover off first five minutes or so. Then we move on to UFC 262's results. And then off the back of those results, we discuss, uh, of course, by now you'll know, the new UFC lightweight champion, Charles Oliveira, and what he does next. Um, we then talk a little bit about the landscape of the lightweight division with, of course, Michael Chandler entering it and losing. Tony Ferguson on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, we then have a little bit of a look forward to Rob Font versus Cody Garbrandt. And, of course, right at the end of the show, we've got the latest news about Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, and Tyson Fury, who seem to have got themselves into a little bit of a pickle. So you can follow us on Instagram at the Combat Review Podcast with all the underscores. You can follow us on Twitter at Combat Review. And of course, you can now watch my beautiful face on YouTube. Three or four videos posted there um, every couple of days. So this is episode 37. Hope you enjoy. Right, so let's talk a little bit of news, shall we? Let's talk a little bit of news. Uh, one interesting one, Derek Lewis uh, just caught someone breaking into his car, which he's posted on Instagram. Um, by all accounts, he uh, knocked the guy out and then waited for the police to turn up. So, I mean, if there's one guy's car in the entire world you don't want to break into, I mean, it's probably Derek Lewis's, isn't it? It's him or Francis Ngannou. You, you just don't really want to break into his car. <laughs> Derek Lewis. So, uh, yeah, that just kind of literally just popped up on my feed. Um, so impressive by Derek Lewis there. Another little bit of news uh, that I just read on MMA Fighting is that Dan Hardy has been granted his release from the UFC. We know that uh, reports surfaced from Dave Meltzer a while ago that the UFC and Dan Hardy had parted company. That was partially true. Um, it was his broadcasting um, stature in the company that had sort of come to an end for whatever reason. Um, you know, I think we'll never probably have the full story, but for whatever reason, disagreements happened and they go in their separate ways. He was, however, still on the, on the contract, even though he didn't fight for sort of eight years or so, he was under contract as a fighter. Um, but he recently received this note from the UFC after he went on submission radio and asked for his release. The very next day, he got a letter from the UFC saying... Uh, with all your accomplish accomplishments, both in and out of the octagon, you've contributed to shaping the sport of mixed martial arts into what it is today, while also being a global ambassador for the sport. We wish you nothing but the best of luck uh, and much success going forward with all your future endeav endeavours. And thank you for your dedication to the sport of mixed martial arts and to the UFC. So Dan Hardy is now a free agent and he has been talking about fighting for a while of course he has wolf parkinson's white syndrome which is what stopped him fighting in the first place but by all accounts now that isn't a problem and he is allowed to fight so i guess my question is do you guys want to see dan hardy fight i do and i don't i, I don't want to see him fight anyone um that's going to cause him too much damage i mean we don't know i would hazard a guess that um it, it, he's not He's probably not in his pomp, um, if that's if that's not being too bold, Dan, and not being too offensive, but you're probably not. Um, of course, we're seeing people like Mike Tyson still fight, and I'm not trying to compare Dan Hardy to Mike Tyson, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a place for um, perhaps uh, fighters towards the end of their career where they want to have a couple of fights. I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't mind seeing Dan Hardy fight someone like Jake Paul 
Um, and I, you know, I, I, I don't want to see these weird fights, but I think Dan Hardy could probably beat Jake Paul. I think when you look at it, yeah, Dan Hardy could beat Jake Paul. Um, but I don't like seeing, <laughs> I don't like seeing these, these Paul brothers fight, but my God, they're keeping themselves relevant. And I guess while we're on that, um, Logan Paul is fighting Floyd Mayweather on the 6th of June. And I don't know about you, right? But I have no interest in watching this fight. Like, no interest, really. Genuinely no. Like, if you put it on, on the TV, in a room I was in, I'd probably just get up and put the kettle on or something. Um, you know, yeah. there is no scenario on this planet where Floyd Mayweather doesn't batter Logan Paul. Logan Paul's going to weigh 190 pounds and Floyd Mayweather's going to weigh 155. And Floyd Mayweather is going to do away with Logan Paul. The thing that makes me laugh is there's there's all these guys on YouTube putting out these videos basically saying, oh, you know, is, is Logan Paul ready? Is he ready for Floyd? No. No, he's not ready for Floyd. And he never will be. If he started boxing when he was six, he wouldn't be ready for Floyd Mayweather. There's levels to this. And even if Logan is a half-decent boxer at an amateur level, which I doubt he is, he will never be ready to box Floyd Mayweather. Never, 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 never. Only time Logan Paul will be ready to box Floyd Mayweather is if he came out of Roger Mayweather's testicles at the same time and was his twin brother and trained the entire time Floyd trained and got to this point. It's just, it's a level of ridiculousness that I, I can't, I can't comment on. It makes me angry. Um, that said, <laughs> I'd happily watch Dan Hardy versus Jake Paul. So what am I talking about, eh? What am I talking about? I think that probably wraps it up for news. I mean, yeah, lots of fight, uh, lots of fight, obviously, um, Topics to talk about. Uh, we'll get on to 262 in a minute. And then, of course, the fallout from that. But there we go. A little bit of news for you. And, of course, dominated by those horrific Paul brothers. You're welcome. All right. UFC 262 was, of course, this past weekend, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, I'll run through the card very quickly. I'll, I'll brush over my predictions. As as always, they were dreadful. Um, I mean, I'm not going to stop doing predictions because they're great. But it seems to be that every time I predict with my head, it goes relatively well. And every time I predict with my heart, it goes very wrong. So that maybe there's a life lesson for you in there as well. Anyway, so in the early prelim card of the UFC Fight Pass prelims, we had Christ Christos Gagos defeated Sean Soriano via Bravo Choke in the second round. In the featherweight division, we had Tucker Lutz defeating, that's a good name, Tucker Lutz. Tucker Lutz defeating Kevin Aguilar by unanimous decision. We had in the women's flyweight division, Priscilla Cachorera defeating Gina Mazzani via TKO in the second round. We then move on to the prelims, where in the women's flyweight division, Andrea Lee defeated Antonia Shevchenko via submission to a triangle armbar in the second round. Yes, that is uh, Valentina Shevchenko's sister. Uh, and Valentina Shevchenko was in her corner. 
We then had in the middleweight division, Jordan Wright defeating Jamie Pickett via TKO in the first round. In the featherweight division, we had Lando Venata defeating Mike Grundy via split decision, where one judge, for some reason, gave it 30-27 to Lando Venata. Uh, the other two judges giving it 29-28 to Grundy and 30-27 to Grundy. Um, it was a very, very odd result indeed. We then move on to the middleweight division, which was the final fight of the prelim card. And this was Andre Muniz taking on uh, Jacare Souza. Jacare, of course, uh, famous Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, um, really known for his submissions. And Andre, uh, sorry, <clears throat> excuse me, bear with me one second while I clear my throat. <clears throat> um, Andre Muniz <clears throat> was talking a lot before the start of the fight how his jiu-jitsu is better than Jacare's. His jiu-jitsu is better than Jacare's. Jacare took umbrage to this, was very angry, and every strike that he threw was with venom and power. And he, you could tell that he was sort of annoyed by what Muniz had said in the pre-fight build-up. Now, Muniz, of course, um, sort of burst onto the scene in Dendo, burst onto the scene, Dana White's contender series. Um, he then fought on the undercard of Blahovic versus Jacare. Uh, he then fought UFC Fight Night. Um, Overeem versus Saki, and then he's most recently fought UFC 262, and he has won all of those fights. So in the UFC, uh, he's on a five-fight win streak. He fought Jacare after claiming that his jiu-jitsu was better than Jacare's, uh, and he broke Jacare's arm by armbar, which, if that's not a statement, I don't know what is. Um, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a weird armbar. He caught it right. And it was more that Jacare was trying to escape and he left his arm in and it got broke in two just behind the elbow, which is, you know, unbelievable. And you could hear it on the commentary. You could, you, anytime there's an arm break, you can always see that moment that the arm just, it almost like clicks. It, it sort of shakes and it clicks. Um, and you could hear it on the video. And it was, it was, uh, it was reminiscent of when Frank Mir broke Nogueira's shoulder back in that Kimura. It was just like that, where you see it, you see that little snap, that little jump, that little trip. Um, and uh, yeah, wow. So Andre Moon is making a big statement there, tapping out and breaking uh, Jacare Souza's arm. Um, and that concluded the prelims. We then move on to the featherweight division uh, in the first fight on the main card. And this was Edson Barbosa versus Shane Burgos. Now, this fight was as advertised. Um, uh, Barbosa, of course, went on sort of a three-fight losing streak. And then he he got a, a win back versus Mac, Mac Juan Amir Khani. Um, Shane Burgos has had a bit of a a bit of a different journey, I guess. Uh, he entered the UFC back in 2016, um, but he has been on a, uh, a, a he went on a three fight winning streak, uh, where again he he beat Amir Khani. Uh, he then lost to Josh Emmett, and he took on Edson Barbosa in what was really a, a fantastic back and forth fight. Um, and I, I would say Barbosa was winning, but as we entered the third round, uh, Barbosa hit Burgos with what looked like a normal right hand to the temple. Um, but when you see the rest of the fight previously, you'll kind of know that he took a lot of shots, Burgos, in the second round particularly. He took a lot of shots. He took a spinning back kick. He took sort of three or four unanswered punches to the te to the head, to the temple. And he, he just sort of ate them all. He ate them all. Um, and then he took this kind of... 
It was a good right hand, but it wasn't the worst one he took. And there was a six-second delay from when he took that right hand to when you could physically see him deteriorating. He then started stepping backwards, collapsed against the back of the cage, and was out. It was... I've never seen a knockout like that in the UFC. It was it was madness. Um, it was one of those knockouts that you, you're really worried about the guy because of the way that he went out. It wasn't like a flash knockout, didn't come back. It was a real delayed reaction where his brain just took the shot, figured it out, and then slowly but surely shut off and down he went. Um, but great performance from Barbosa back in the wing column. And Shane Burgos, unfortunately, uh, receiving that knockout. He went straight to the hospital, uh, obviously got checked over, and he's okay. But that was a worrying one. Next, we move on to the women's flyweight division where Caitlin Chukasian defeated Vivian Array, who I actually predicted uh, Array, who would win this. I think I actually predicted. Uh, did I predict Barbosa or Burgos? I can't remember. Let's just say I said Barbosa, shall we? Um, this was a unanimous decision for Caitlin Chukasian. Um This is a tough one, right? Because you look at Chukasian, she has beat Cynthia Calvillo. She's lost to Jessica Andrade. Um, she beat Antonia Shevchenko, which is Valentina Shevchenko's sister. She lost to Valentina Shevchenko. She's lost to Jessica I. And when you look at that division, she currently sits second but she's lost to the champion and she's lost to the number one contender. So it's really difficult to match her up. She's in, a, in one of those really difficult positions where she kind of has to fight someone in the in fifth, sixth, seventh, because she can't fight the number one contender again. She can't fight the champion. Not, not enough time's gone by. She only fought in February 2020 against the champion. So she's fought three, four, she's fought five times in a year almost. Just, just outside that. She's fought four times in the year, five times in 13, 14 months. So, Caitlin Jacasian, you know, a, a good victory against Arehu, and it hasn't really hurt Arehu. She'll go back to the drawing board and come back. But my point is, for that little rant, is she she's stuck, uh, and it's an unfortunate position to be in. Then we had Rogerio uh, Bonterin defeating Matt Schnell by unanimous decision. Uh, we then had Benil Dariush, who defeated Tony Ferguson by unanimous decision. Uh, third loss in a row for Tony Ferguson, which I'll go into a little bit more detail on very shortly. Um, and, of course, Charles Oliveira defeating Michael Chandler via Tico in the second round, um, which I also will go into a little bit more detail in shortly. So, overall, really good card. Of course, this card was supposed to have Nate Diaz um, versus Leon Edwards on this card. That has been kicked down the road to, I think, UFC 263, which I've been, uh, sorry, UFC 264. I think this is it, UFC 264. Which one is it? No, I tell you, I was right the first time. It was UFC 263. So obviously, Israel Adesanya, Marvin Vittori, Figueredo, Moreno, and now Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz. So that's kind of made a good card, a great card. Um, and we, of course, uh, have been treated to quite a few impressive UFC cards this year. They are really on a roll, um, and we've still got Poirier versus McGregor to come as well, and the fight nights have also been very good. So overall, UFC 262 was a good card, good results, satisfying victory uh, for Charles Oliveira, and there is now, on the back of those results, a hell of a lot to unpack. Whew. All right, so UFC 262 this past weekend. 
There's a lot to unpack here. If you don't know, you should know Charles Oliveira is the new UFC lightweight champion of the world. He defeated Michael Chandler in spectacular fashion in what was a fantastic, I want to call it a fight. Obviously, it was a fight, but it only lasted around at about 15 seconds. So the first round saw um, dominance on the ground from Charles Oliveira and dominance on the feet from Michael Chandler. And it was towards the end of the round that Michael Chandler was kind of getting the upper hand. He dropped Charles Oliveira, made the interesting decision not to um, to stand him back up, and he followed him to the ground, obviously didn't finish the fight, gave Oliveira time to recover. The round then ended pretty much Michael Chandler's corner said more of the same, and there was no reason for there not to be more of the same because Chandler was on the up. He was winning the fight at that point. He had the upper hand. Um, and then 18 seconds later, Charles Oliveira was the new lightweight champion of the world. Um, he caught Michael Chandler with a left hook. Uh, Chandler then semi-recovered onto the fence. Looked like if Charles didn't take advantage of that moment that Chandler was going to recover. However, Chandler did, uh, sorry, Oliveira did what Chandler could not do earlier in the fight, took advantage and finished Michael Chandler. So it's one of those moments. And, and when Michael Bisping won the middleweight championship, when he knocked out Luke Rockhold, it was one of those moments where a guy who had put in the work and had, had such a impressive career with the UFC, but never quite got there. He finally got his moment. And it's, it's, it's drawn similarities to that Michael Bisping um, comparison but it's, it's not quite complete because Bisping was perhaps towards the end of his career, whereas Charles Oliveira, he's like in the middle of his career. This is him peaking. He's probably got another two years of being at the top before he starts perhaps um, fading a little bit. And maybe he's got more time than that. But that was his ninth win in a row to win that UFC championship. That was his 28th fight in the UFC. Um, his first fight in the UFC was on the 1st of August, 2010. Um He's been fighting since 2008. So he's had a 13-year career in MMA. And of those 13 years, he spent 11 of them in the UFC. And for him to go through what he's been through, 28 fights in the organization, nine losses, and to come at the end of it, it culminates versus Michael Chan. Everything, everything for Charles Oliveira. And you'll remember, if we journey back a year... Charles Oliveira was the guy on a seven-fight win streak that no one wanted to give a title shot to. Well, certainly the UFC didn't. They went to Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. They had Khabib and Justin Gaethje. Um, and when you think that Conor was fighting Dustin, you kind of just assume that if Conor won, he'd fight Khabib, and then Charles Oliveira was cut out. Fast forward a year, Khabib retires. Conor McGregor loses to Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier wants the rematch. And then Charles Oliveira, UFC signed Michael Chandler. They signed Michael Chandler from Bellator, one of Bellator's biggest draws. And it all falls up perfectly. And Charles Oliveira has put in the work, put in the hours, the dedication, the blood, the sweat, the tears. He's taken his losses. And he is now the UFC lightweight champion of the world. For me... That is such an impressive story. I need more people to know about this story. And he will undoubtedly, you'd like to think, face the winner of 
Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. The only kind of asterisk to that is we've got Justin Gaethje sitting there doing nothing. But Justin Gaethje's come off a loss. And when you look at the new lightweight division, if we pull that up quickly, up, uh, rankings updated overnight, so we've got Charles Olivier, of course, the champion, Dustin Poirier, number one, Justin Gaethje, number two, Benil Dariush, number three, Michael Chandler, Conor McGregor, and Tony Ferguson. In that number, in those six guys, ranked one to six, I think four of them are coming off losses. That's interesting. A couple of them haven't fought in a while. So... There is some work to do on that lightweight division, that division that's been a shark tank for so long. We might be at the point very, very soon that some some new work needs to be done. We need some more matchups made. But for now, is Charles or uh, <laughs> just Charlie Olives? I always want to say Charlie Olives because of Dan Hooker. It's Charlie Olives' day. It's Charlie Olives' party, and he is the UFC lightweight champion, and deservedly so. What a victory! Michael Chandler lost. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. And in some ways, when you think about Chandler and you think about Oliveira, that was the right result. And it almost didn't go that way. And if Michael Chandler did win, it, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But here's why it's good. Oliveira deserved it. And I'm not saying Chandler didn't deserve it, but because his career has been long and impressive but it's not been in the UFC. So when you think about who deserves it in the organization, it's Charles Oliveira. But why it is still good is Michael Chandler might be getting on in his MMA career at the moment, but he has got everyone to fight in the lightweight division. Everyone. He hasn't fought anyone. He's fought Dan Hooker and Charles Oliveira. He hasn't fought Justin Gaethje, which is the fight I want to see. I don't know about you. He hasn't fought Justin Gage. He hasn't fought Conor McGregor. He hasn't fought Benil Dariush. He hasn't fought RDA. He hasn't fought anyone in that lightweight division. So Michael Chandler's dance card is open. It's wide open. And he's not going to want to sit on this loss. He's going to want to get back into it pretty soon. I think the UFC needs to pick up the phone to Justin Gaethje and say, got a fight for you, mate. And Michael Chandler won't turn down that fight. He won't. Justin Gaethje needs a win before he goes back for the belt. He's going to have to sit regardless. If he wants to wait for the belt, he's going to have to wait for Poirier versus Connor to play out. Because let's be honest, that's who's getting the title shot next. It's not going to be Justin Gaethje. If Dustin wins, Dustin Oliveira... Michael Chandler wants to get back. He looks at Justin Gaethje. He thinks, mm, if I beat him, I can get back to the title. Justin Gaethje thinks, if I can beat him, I'll get a title shot next. You can do Gaethje versus Connor if Connor loses. You can do Chandler versus Connor if Connor loses. But the fight that makes the most sense for me in that lightweight division is Michael Chandler versus Justin Gaethje. Book it now. Let's talk about Tony Ferguson. <clears throat> now, it's tough because I made a similar video to this a week ago about Cowboy Cerrone. And Cowboy Cerrone, of course, has gone on his own losing streak. Tony Ferguson has now lost three in a row. Um, he lost to Justin Gaethje. He lost to um, Charles Oliveira. And he's, of course, just lost to Benil Dariush. Now, it's, 
It's tough. I, I don't think he retires. He's just lost to three of the best lightweights in the world. But he best he definitely has to step back and take stock and think about what he's doing and where he wants to be and where he wants to go. It's not our place to really tell someone whether they should or shouldn't fight. Um, but when you've lost three in a row and you think about the damage, the damage he took in that Justin Gaethje fight was scary at times. And even you remember the finish, he received that that shot to the temple and he just, it, something went in his head and he, he could, wasn't moving properly, he had to wave it off. It was horrible to see. Then you move to the Charles Oliveira fight where he didn't take a whole lot of damage, but he got mauled on the floor. And you like to think of Tony Ferguson as a 10th planet black belt and he's really good on the floor. And you remember he's submitting Kevin Lee and things like that with a triangle. He just got, there's just his levels. There's black belts and there's black belts. And Charles Olivier is the latter. But even the arm, that arm bar just completely jacked his arm. And then you fast forward to Benil Dariush, who I think won lots of tournaments at brown belt in jiu-jitsu, mauled Tony Ferguson on the floor again and caught him in that heel hook that's just jacked his knee. Just the damage that Tony Ferguson has taken in his last three fights. And he was never one of those fighters that didn't used to take damage before. He'd take damage in his fights. You know, he went on a 14-fight winning streak, I think, in the lightweight division before he, he lost his last three. And he's been so unlucky with making the Khabib fight. I think they tried to make it four times. And then he tripped and pulled his knee on some wires. And just a, a mat, and he had problems at home. There are reports of, of this and that and odd things that were going on and people in walls and all sorts of weird stuff. But he is just fantastic. And he's a fan favorite. And I don't think it's it's time for him to step away from the sport. But I think it's time for him to step down the lightweight division and start thinking about taking on slightly lesser fights um, or lesser ranked opponents and maybe try and build your way back up or put together a nice win streak or just make some more money beating people up. It's There's no shame in stepping back. Tony Ferguson... Is I think he's thirty. Is he thirty six? Tony Ferguson is thirty seven years old. He's thirty seven. He should be looking down towards the bottom of the lightweight division, or certainly outside the top five, outside the top ten. You know, Benil Dariush has just beaten him and jumped from ninth to third. I think. So I don't think this is a retirement call. I think this is a Tony, take a step back, take some time off. Let's have a think about what you're going to do. Um, but we all love Tony Ferguson. We love watching him fight. But what we don't love is his last three fights in the manner he's been beaten. It just shows that at this point in time, he is not a top five light heavyweight in the world. This weekend, we've got a bit of a sleeper. We've got a bit of a sleeper on our hands. So Cody Garbrandt takes on Rob Font at UFC Fight Night this weekend. Uh, in the bantamweight division. Now, Rob Font is on a three-fight win streak. Cody Garbrandt went on a three-fight skid where he lost to TJ Dillashaw twice. I think he uh, lost to Pedro Munoz. And then, of course, he uh, just beat Rafael Asansau. I say just beat. It was last year. But you'll remember that knockout. Uh, spectacular knockout. Cody kind of just ducked down for about 15 minutes and then just came up swinging threw a right hand from his ankle and uh, knocked out Sunsau. So this is set up Rob Font versus Cody Garbrandt, which kind of sets it up quite well because Rob Font is ranked number three and Cody Garbrandt is ranked number four. 
Now, obviously, we've had the madness that Aljamain Sterling is the champion in this division. Uh, and that rematch with Pete Yan is incoming. I know that Aljamain Sterling recently had surgery on his neck. We have also got TJ Dillashaw returning from suspension into the bantamweight division. Supposed to be taken on Corey Sanhagen last month. That has been uh, that can has been kicked down the road to this month. Um, so we will see that fight in the next sort of four or five weeks or so. So as far as the bantamweight division goes, it looks really interesting. We've still got Jose Aldo knocking about. We've still got uh, Marlon Moraes knocking about. And I don't really want to say Pe uh, Frankie Edgar's name in there, but he's still kicking about that division. So what are we going to see from Rob Font or Cody Garbrandt this weekend? I'm quite high on Rob Font. I like him a lot. Um, I think he's been really entertaining in his last three fights. Um, he's a really good striker. Cody Garbrandt, of course, his striking resume is not in question. Um, he did have some difficulties with COVID. I know he had a lot of blood clots and things like that. I don't think he knew he had COVID and he was training a lot. Um, and he talked about that on, on Joe Rogan's podcast. But um, that's a really compelling fight in the bantamweight division. And whoever wins that, we'll have to deal with the fact that Aljamain Sterling is going to take on Peter Yan again. Um, and we probably know how that's going to go. Um, Peter Yan's probably going to get his belt back. But I know that Cody lost twice to TJ Dillashaw, but there's a couple of fights out there that I will subscribe to no matter how many times one of the wins or loses. they're like It's like Mission Impossible films. Tom Cruise keeps making them. As long as he keeps making them, I'm going to keep watching them. And if DC ever wants to fight John Jones again, I'll buy a ticket. hundred I don't care if he loses five times in a row. That rivalry is one of my favorites of all time. One of my other favorite rivalries of all time is TJ Dillashaw versus Cody Garbrandt. And I do know that Cody Garbrandt lost twice and lost twice convincingly. But guess what? If TJ Dillashaw beats um, Corey Sanhagen and Cody Garbrandt beats Rob Font, we know we have to wait for Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan. I'm okay watching that fight a third time. What do you guys think? I'm up for it. All right. So this one's a bit of a pain for me. It is a bit of a pain for me. So Tyson Fury went on his Instagram yesterday and announced that he was boxing Anthony Joshua on August the 14th in Saudi Arabia which is kind of what we all knew. We might not have known the exact date. We kind of knew it was going to be in August. Uh, first of all, it was July. Then it was two or three dates in August. And now we've got the date. It's August the 14th. So brilliant. Fantastic. Anthony Joshua is going to fight Tyson Fury in Saudi Arabia. We all knew they were going to fight anyway. What we didn't know um, is that Deontay Wilder... Well, I suppose we did know this. We did know that Deontay Wilder supposedly had this weird rematch clause, even though the fact that Tyson Fury beat Deontay Wilder the first time they fought, even though it was a split draw or whatever it ended up being. Um, Tyson Fury won that fight. And if you watch boxing and you watch that fight, you'll also know that to be true. They then fought again, and Tyson Fury stopped him in the seventh round. So if you're, if you're a boxing fan... You don't want to watch this fight. No one wants to see Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder again. Not at the cost of Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua for all the belts. So what Deontay Wilder's done, he's gone to a arbiter whose name was Daniel Weinstein. Um, he is a former judge, not a current judge. Uh, and he was uh, ruled to be the arbiter in this case. He looked at the case and said, yes, 
Uh, Tyson Fury has to defend his WBC belt against Deontay Wilder by no later than September the 15th. Well, now we've got a problem because unless Deontay Wilder is going to accept money, which I think is something that Alexander Usyk has done, uh, something similar for Anthony Joshua so that he can compete in this fight. If Deontay Wilder is going to accept money to step aside or perhaps sign something that says that he gets to fight the winner, um, then that's fine. But then this this feeds into the problem of boxing because if Deontay Wilder does that and signs to fight the winner, well, Fury Joshua is a two-fight deal. So what happens if Fury wins and then Deontay Wilder is contracted to fight him next, but he can't fight him next because Fury's also contracted to fight Anthony Joshua again? Do you see the problem? Boxing's got a lot of problems. And the fact that it's got so many belts is feeding into this. This is why we've got people in, in courts talking and discussing this, where there should just be one governing body that goes, no, 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 no. This is what's happening. But at the moment, because you've got four different organizations, all of a sudden... If one of them turns around and says, yeah, uh, mandatory defense of your IBO, and then IBO, uh, IBF turn around and go, no, 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 no. IBF, mandatory defense. You can't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that's why we keep getting robbed of the big fights because of things like this. So we were all sitting there all ready for Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. I would suspect that we are probably still going to get that fight. I just don't know when it will be. There's a couple of options. Tyson Fury can vacate the WBC title and fight Anthony Joshua for the three belts and then let Deontay Wilder fight someone else for that one. But that kind of ruins the whole point of the fight, doesn't it? It's for all the marbles. It's to find who's the best. And it won't be it won't be harder to sell that. I won't imagine it will suffer too much, but it does take the shine off it a little bit, doesn't it? Option number two is they pay Deontay Wilder an X amount of money and he steps aside or agrees to a fight later down the road or something like that. But I suspect Deontay Wilder won't want to do that because he was kind of humiliated by Tyson Fury. And I'd imagine he probably wants that back. Um, I, now, I don't know if, this is, if, this, if you can do this or you can't. But what I'd be doing if I was Tyson Fury is agreeing to fight Anthony Joshua, fighting Anthony Joshua beating Anthony Joshua, and then vacating the WBC before September the 15th. I don't know if you can do that or you can't. That's what I'd be doing. Or I'd sign to fight Deontay Wilder on September the 15th and just pull out. There must be ways around this. This isn't the first time this has happened. I know it happened between Lennox Lewis and Hassim Rackman. Um, and Lennox Lewis had to take Rackman to court to get that fight back. And he did get that back and he won. And the rest is history. But... We got a big announcement for Wilder versus Fury. We got excited. Oh, sorry, for Fury versus Joshua. We got excited. And then that Deontay Wilder, he couldn't let us have it, could he? He couldn't let us have it. Watch this space, I guess. That was episode 37. So, as I said at the top of the show, you can follow us on Instagram at the Combat Review Podcast with all the underscores. You can follow us on Twitter at Combat Review, and you can watch my beautiful mug on YouTube at the Combat Review channel. Thank you very much for listening. Um, you know, follow us on all of the social medias, as they like to say. Uh, if you could give us a like and a subscribe on 
uh, YouTube. That'd be fantastic. Um, and thank you very much for listening. And I'll, of course, see you next time on episode 38.